This weekend, we celebrate the solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, a holy day that is so important that it takes the regular Sunday readings and bumps them off the map and replaces them with a special liturgy. This is why we're in white, the altar cloth, vestments and so forth, all in white today because of this special feast day. And it gets started right away from the beginning with this reading from the book of Revelation, which talks about the Ark of the Covenant. There's an interesting parallel that's being drawn here. If you go back to the Old Testament, we're familiar with that idea of the Ark of the Covenant, this big box that God ordered, constructed, that would contain three items. It had in it the rod of Aaron, which was sort of a sign of God's authority, the Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone, the word of God, and also a jar that contains some of the manna, the bread that the Israelites ate in the desert. And they marched with this thing throughout through the desert, took it into battle and so forth. But in today's first reading from Revelation, it says that St. John, as he's being exposed to what heaven is like, John sees, he says, the Ark of the Covenant, and there's a woman standing there who is clothed like the sun. In other words, he's not talking about the Ark of the Old Testament. He's seeing Mary, the mother of God, who is the New Testament Ark of the New Covenant. Because she is bearing Christ. His authority, like the stone tablets, he is now the living word, and he is the word made fresh, flesh, the bread of life. And so, now, Mary becomes the Ark of the Covenant. So, it kind of begs some questions. I know that each year, as the director of the RCIA, the Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults, I get asked a lot of questions about Mary, and specifically about the Assumption. So I thought today I would frame a few comments around three of the most common questions that I get asked in RCIA about the Assumption so that maybe we can kind of renew that in our own minds and also give us a little bit of artillery to defend our own faith. So the first question that I get asked is, Jesus ascended to heaven and Mary was assumed to heaven. Are they basically the same thing? And the answer is no. So on to the second question. <laughs> well, let me back up a little bit. So the answer is no, because Jesus is God. He is one of the three persons of the Trinity. Jesus, as God, as divine, had the power to do anything he wanted whenever he wanted. He could heal the blind. He could raise, the dead from, uh, or the, raise someone from the dead. He raised himself from the dead. So he is God. He had the power to ascend himself into heaven. And so 40 days after the resurrection, he ascended by his own power. Mary, on the other hand, is human. She's fully human. She's not divine. She's not a deity. She's not God. So she does not have the power to be able to ascend into heaven like Jesus did. She relied on the power of God to take her up into heaven. And that's what assumption means. To be assumed into heaven means that Mary was taken body and soul into heaven by God. So big difference there. Jesus had the power to ascend Mary did not, so she was assumed or taken into heaven. The second question I get asked a lot is, we know that the ascension is in the Bible, but the assumption is not in the Bible. So how do we know that it even happened? 
How do we know that it's true? And that's a fair question. And that question really dates back to the Reformation. You go back 500 years in church history, and this whole idea arose of sola scriptura, which means by scripture alone. Sort of a a non-Catholic belief um, that many of our Christian brothers and sisters have is that if it's not in the Bible, it's not true. And if it is in the Bible, it is. So the ascension's in the Bible, so that happened. The assumption is not, so that didn't happen. And that seems like a reasonable line of thinking, although we have to be really careful with the sola scriptura idea. Here is just one example. Another thing that I challenge our RCIA candidates and their sponsors each year on is I ask them to crack open their Bible and to find where it says Holy Trinity and explains what the Trinity is all about. And of course, they'll rummage through the Bible and they'll run Google searches and they'll say, Trinity is not in the Bible. And I'll say, you're right. And yet, the Holy Trinity is a piece of theology that almost every Christian on the entire planet believes in. But it's not in the Bible. It's something that comes from the Bible. Certainly the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all described and discussed there. But the idea of the Trinity is not in the Bible. So there are things that we believe that are not necessarily in the Bible. So in the, in the Catholic tradition, we have uh, sort of settled on three different ways of uh, coming to truth and and the things that we believe and understand. One of them certainly is scripture. But a second one is the magisterium of the church, the teaching of the church. There are certainly things that are in the catechism of the Catholic Church that the church teaches that we believe. And then this third category is tradition, with a capital T. Those things that have been handed down from generation to generation to generation for hundreds if not thousands of years that we believe, not because they're in the Bible, but because somebody saw them, knew about them, talked about them, and passed them down from generation to generation. And that's what was the case with the Assumption of Mary. Not in the Bible, but as a tradition. In the first couple hundred years of the church, they were already talking about the Assumption of Mary and the fact that that her body and soul were assumed into heaven. Because Mary was the ideal woman to give birth to the Son of God, and if she was that good and that perfect, then there certainly is reason for us to assume that God was not going to allow her body to be corrupted. And so it would have been taken up body and soul into heaven. And they knew that in the first couple hundred years of the church. And in fact, by the time we reached the early 300s, it was already common knowledge in the church that this had happened. And actually, by the 6th century, the Catholic Church was already celebrating the Feast of the Assumption of Mary. So it's not like this is something we came up with last week. This is a belief we have had, a tradition we have had in the church for at least 1,700 years that is passed down from generation to generation. If you want some kind of physical evidence, probably one of my favorites is this. You will not find anywhere on the planet a relic of Mary. Think about this. In the first couple hundred years of the church, it was commonplace to collect the bones of the saints. Every time that a saint died, everybody, anytime that someone very important in the church died, they would collect that body. It would be venerated in churches, It would be entombed under an altar, etc. You can go to Rome today and you can see the bones of St. Peter and you can visit the tomb of St. Paul. We know exactly where St. James and St. Philip are entombed beneath an altar. You can can see the foot of St. Mary Magdalene. They're all there. 
they collected these to be able to give reverence to in the years to come. But there's not one first degree or first class relic of Mary, the mother of God. Why not? She's not here. Her body was assumed into heaven, body and soul. Thirdly, why does the assumption matter? And why do Catholics insist on worshiping Mary in the first place? Well, let's take that second half of it first. Just to be clear that we're all on the same page, we as Catholics do not worship Mary. We simply don't. Again, Mary being that choice that God made to bring his son into the world is an extremely important model for us. So as a model, she is revered, she is respected, and she is honored. But she's not worshipped because she's not God. She's not a deity. St. Alphonsus Liguori in the 18th century gave a very beautiful description of this. The way that he put it was, God chose to send us his son through Mary. And therefore, our way back to the son is through Mary. She's a necessary link of the chain. But she's not divine. She's not God. So we don't necessarily pray to Mary. We pray through her. We ask for her intercession. After all, who could be closer to Jesus right now than Mary herself? So we pray through Mary. And that's why when we pray the Hail Mary, think of the last phrase of that prayer. It says, pray for us sinners. It doesn't say to do something specifically for us, but to pray for us, intercede for us, and jump in and give us a hand. Does it help to ask Mary to intercede for us? Well, consider Jesus' first miracle. Do you remember it? The wedding feast at Cana. Why did he turn the water into wine? Because Mary nudged him and said, Jesus, they need more wine. Take care of this. That same mother is the one that we pray to when we ask for intercession. Nudge your son for us. Ask him for, our, for help in our situation. It's been said that Mary is like a mirror. That she doesn't want our praise. She doesn't want our, the glory that we would give. We give all of that to God. So she's a mirror in as much that if we even try to praise the mother of God, it's going to bounce right off of her and go right back to her son. Because he's the focal point. Mary simply points us in the direction of her son. And that's why in that gospel reading today, when Mary visits Elizabeth, she makes the statement, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. The Almighty has done great things for me. Notice how the glory is all being given right back to God. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. It's all about him, right? You and I need to remember that. Think about that running back that gets into the end zone. When he scores a touchdown, he's got two choices. One of them is to beat his breast and point at himself and say, I did that. And another one is the person who kneels down and makes a sign of the cross. You ever see him do that? Where's the glory being given? Is it about me or is it about God? Mary was the master of being able to say, it's all about God. Give all the glory to him. So why does the assumption matter? It matters because in the second reading, St. Paul refers to Jesus as the first fruits of the resurrection. That's an important word. A farmer at the time that this uh, gospel was written would know that first fruits means two things. The first thing it means is that the first fruit you gather is the best. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but that seems to be true in our vegetable garden. 
When the tomatoes come on at this time of year, the first tomatoes you pick are the best. They're awesome. Later on, they're not quite as good, but they're okay. But the first ones are best. Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven, the first and the best. The second thing first fruits means is it gives you hope that there's going to be more. As soon as you pick those first tomatoes, you become hopeful. Hey, they're going to continue to produce. Same thing here. As soon as Jesus is resurrected as the first fruit, he gives us hope. So some theologians have referred to the assumption of Mary and to Mary herself as being the second fruit. Now that Jesus has been resurrected and has gone to heaven, Mary has been assumed and she's gone to heaven too. And you know what that does for you and I? It gives us comfort and it gives us hope. It means that a human being was able to enter through those same gates that Jesus opened when he died and resurrected. And that gives you and I hope. And that's what the Feast of the Assumption does for us today. It gives us hope in the resurrection, that it doesn't end here. So this is why when we pray the rosary, usually the last prayer right after the rosary, we pray the Salve Regina. And in that prayer, Mary, the mother of God, is referred to as our sweetness and our hope. Why? Because she gives us hope that we too will be with her, her son in heaven. By the virtue of the assumption, we are hopeful that we are headed in the same direction. And so in that second reading today from Corinthians, St. Paul says that the last enemy to, to be destroyed is death. We start to realize that death isn't the end, it's the beginning. And we recognize that we too can follow the same path that Mary followed into eternity with Jesus. What could be better than that? And so this week, what I would invite you to do, this is your homework assignment, is to take a few minutes and pray the rosary. And specifically to pray the glorious mysteries. The second glorious mystery is the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And the fourth glorious mystery is the assumption of Mary into heaven. Take some time to reflect on those mysteries and to pray to, for a better relationship with that blessed mother who is that link in the chain that brings us back to Jesus. And to think a little bit about this Feast of the Assumption and how it gives comfort and hope to you and I that we will be united together someday with Christ for eternity.